It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Call 1300-01-1170 and text 0457-736-736 to get in touch. Welcome to Higher Ground with Julian King. Yeah, hello everyone. Welcome along to Higher Ground this Monday evening. Jules with you. Great to have your company right across the SEN network on 1170am in Sydney, 1116am Melbourne. Good evening to everyone. SENQ693 in Brisbane, 16.20 on the Gold Coast via the SEN app. It's the capital J, capital K. The open line number, should you like to join me, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy, and the text line 0457 736 736. Now, joining me on the show tonight, Lachlan McCurdy from Code Sports. Uh, he will be up shortly for the weekend wash-up. And Ian McCulloch as well, next out of the program, live from London for his UK report. He'll talk all things World Cup. And I tell you what, we've got a pretty fascinating test match in prospect at the moment. The first test between England and Pakistan, Royal Pindi. Remember this, England 657 in their first innings, including 500 in the first day. Well, Pakistan need only another 86 runs, one session to go, and they got five wickets in the shed. It's funny, I was texting a few mates and, and more than one said this, do we have a tie on our hands? Maybe the third tie test in history in prospect. So I'll watch that very, very closely. Now, in World Cup action this morning, France, well done to them, defeated Poland 3-1. Another beautiful goal by Kylian Mbappe. England too good for Senegal. They're starting to wake up England. And, and those two teams are now going to meet in a mouth-watering quarterfinal. Tomorrow morning, we've got the remaining Asian teams. Isn't that great for the Asian Confederation that you had more teams from that confederation go through to the round of 16 than you did from Central and South America, especially with the Uruguay bowing out? So Japan meet Croatia, and then Brazil take on South Korea. Let me ask you this. So pretty much the entire country got up at 6 a.m., to watch the Socceroos go down to Argentina. And you look at the numbers, the SBS ratings uh, through the roof. After that gallant loss yesterday morning, uh, are you off the World Cup? Have you cooled on the World Cup? Did it sort of end for you then and there? Uh, did you feel a bit deflated? I think we look, I think I know the answer to that question. We all felt deflated. Deflated and proud at the same time. It's a little hard not to, but... You know, with the Australians bowing out now, who, who do you want to see win the thing? Who do you want to see hold aloft the Jules Ramey trophy? There are some teams that you just can't stand that you see anyone but. Anyone but. You know, it's like in rugby league. Anyone but Manly or anyone but Collingwood. Anyone but England, perhaps. See, I had a theory, right, and I've been espousing this for the last few weeks on the network, that in all those years Australia didn't qualify for the World Cup I reckon it was the one arena where it was permissible to cheer for England. And the reason I say that is that outside, you know, you follow the A-League, but the Premier League is the most followed league on the planet. So football fans here, and Graham Arnold said as much, you know, outside of the A-League, you follow the English Premier League, and and that's pretty much it. So you're familiar with all the England players. So back in my day, I was a Mad Man United fan. I go, oh, I like England because they've got Dave Beckham, They've got Paul Scholes, they've got Nicky Butt and a handful of, uh, of Manchester United players, Rio Ferdinand, for example. But ever since Australia qualified 
It goes back to those old sort of parochial lines, doesn't it? No, no, anyone but England. They were pretty decent, and they still feature some Man United players. And Alex, who works with us here at SEN, he's called a couple of games for the network for this World Cup, thinks that Luke Shaw is the man to, uh, to bring him down, to mark up against Mbappe. There are smarter people than me that know all things about the world game. But that's my theory that, no, nope, you know, back England, France won it last time, don't want to see them win it. I'm happy for Brazil to win it. Argentina could take a leave. Portugal take a leave. Happy for the Dutch to win it. Amazingly, they've never won it, even though they're one of the, the all-time great powerhouses in the world game. But it's funny, isn't it? Because not dissimilar to the Olympics, we become experts every four years. You know, this is not the golden generation of Australian football. But we're well aware now that their achievements have surpassed that of was Hinnick's side of 2006. Two clean sheets, two wins. And an inferior team on paper anyway. Because going into it, most average sports fans in this country wouldn't be able to name more than a handful of the side, let alone pick them out in the lineup. You might recognise Matty Ryan, Aaron Moy probably. And then I reckon you'd struggle. And all of a sudden now, we're riding this, this wave of green and gold excitement. You know, we're students of the Socceroos, so, so the next step, and a line that we've heard pushed since going down in the round of 16, is that we have to capitalise on this momentum. The game has to springboard off the back of this success. So while the sport remains in the public consciousness, you know, how do you get fans to games or back to games? Because the performance of a number of Australians was a reflection, really, on the quality of the A-League. I mean, Craig Goodwin, the prime example, Arguably Australia's best this World Cup. So how do those in soccer football in this country say, look, we've got a pretty decent product here. Come check it out. And are the younger generations off the back of this success in this World Cup inspired to take up the sport? Because I tell you what, this country, Australia, has the most competitive sporting environment on the planet for football codes, the national summer sport of cricket. And all vying for for participation, I guess you could say, in a limited population. Because the future of any sport in this country is first and foremost participation. And then converting that to elite performance. So soccer football offers something no other sport can. It's the world game. Genuine international exposure, global glory, it is enticing. Put money into the game. Money that reflects the uptake of the game the huge numbers involved in the game, particularly at junior level. Subsidised registration. Some of the costs are highly exorbitant. It shouldn't be a pay-to-play scenario in this country. Reward performance. Bring in the best coaches, the best training methods. Let the sport explode more so. So they've done well, the Socceroos. They ought to be celebrated. Did you head to a live site as well? I'd love to hear from anyone tonight on the program. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy or 0457 736, 736. Did you get up early? You know, back in the day, I would have. I'm a family man now, two young kids. They get up at six. Make me breakfast. A bit hard for me to nick off to the live sites. But I was there in spirit. Plenty turned out. Tumbalong Park and Sydney. Melbourne's Federation Square, of course, remains a spiritual home of live sites. And there were plenty of sites set up by local councils around the country. Did you get out to one? And what was the atmosphere like? Was it jubilant? Did you feel a certain collectivity? Do you feel proud? I've got to say, though, 
Former Arsenal coach Arsene Wenger, he seems a bit confused as to whether this Australian performance deserved to be celebrated. So he said this on Sunday evening, and you may have come across this today. When you go to a World Cup, you know, you must not lose the first game. And the teams as well who are mentally ready, who had the mindset to focus on the competition and not on political demonstrations. Now, these comments by Arsene Wenger were seen as, I guess, a, a not-so-subtle swipe at a number of teams, including Germany, who are now out. But Australia, of course, lost their first game to France. Is that the reason, Arsene, that we lost to France, who happened to be one of the premier teams on the planet and defending champions? Because Socceroos or some of the players released a video prior to kickoff with this tournament concerned about human rights abuses in Qatar. So that was the reason. You know, nothing to do with the fact that they're one of the best teams on the planet, France, where a singular player is worth more on the football market than our entire squad combined. To Kylian Mbappe, maybe he wouldn't have torched Nathaniel Atkinson had the Aussies kept mum about injustice. Never thought of it like that. Nothing to do with the golfing class. How foolish of us. What a gobshite he is, Wenger, honestly. And he's pushing for this this two-year World Cup cycle. He's a FIFA shill. Wenger, he is a FIFA shill. And as evidenced by those comments. Craig Foster was right when he wrote on Twitter, disgraceful comments by Wenger propagating the FIFA line that athletes shouldn't stand up for human rights and that a desire for social justice inhibits athletic performance. They are politics. Our scene and value shouldn't be for sale. Hey, well done to AFL for releasing a fixes during the Socceroos match. Even a lot of AFL Aussie rules diehards couldn't defend that one. It just confirms your reputation as the most arrogant sporting organisation in the country, but somehow with a chip on their shoulder, it would seem. Now, we'll get to Lachlan McCurdy from Code Sports shortly, and I'll get him to elaborate on this. Listeners, have you heard the name Lance Morris before today? Genuine question. You, you could be forgiven for saying no, because he's now the name on everyone's lips after the fiery quick from over in the West. He was called into the Australian squad for the second test in Adelaide. He's only 24, so Malcolm Nisa as well, who made his debut under lights at Adelaide last season, also been called into an extended squad named by the selectors because there was a bit of doubt remaining over the fitness of Pat Cummins. He did say after the the victory in Perth, oh, it was a minor injury, should be right to go, but I guess they'll monitor him. So Scotty Boland uh, will play if Cummins is ruled out with a quad strain, but Morris and Nisa are included because of the short turnaround time between the tests and, and this jam schedule that the sport faces at the moment. Five tests in 40 days, two against the West Indies, three against South Africa. And then off the back of that, they go to India and then England and then the 50 over World Cup. So Lance Morris, he's nicknamed the wild thing. He can hit 150 clicks. You can measure that on the speed gun. What about these numbers? 18 first-class matches, 59 wickets, average of 25. That's pretty decent. And to steal a line from the great rugby league coach, Jack Gibson, because you can't coach speed. I suppose it applies to wingers as much as it does to fast bowlers. I've got to say, I don't expect the Adelaide test to go the dif- distance. They rarely do. Mind you, I didn't expect the Perth test to last in the fifth day either, but they showed tremendous resolve, the West Indies, led by their captain, Craig Brathwaite, who has shown that he has strength with the bat, but importantly, strength between the ears. No obvious weaknesses in his game, but Tajnarayan Chandapur looks to have a very bright future at this level. He's a player, Chandapur, in the T20 age, who's not afraid to occupy the crease. So he's a bit of a diamond in the rough in that respect. Not dissimilar to his old man, of course. 
And some of these players have played against him and his dad. He impressed me. And i tell you what, I, I like Elzara Joseph. The young quip has a bit of spunk about him too. 0457 736 736. A number of stats to emerge from that test just very quickly. Steve Smith's average once again submitted north of 60. Marnus, we know he scores for fun. He's joined a couple of other Australians in Chapel and Walters to have Scored a double and 100 in the same test. Pat Cummins cleared his 200-test scalp. He's an elite company in terms of average and strike rate. The first time as well in test history that four bowlers have 200-plus test wickets next to their name. Stark, Cummins, Hazelwood, Lyon. First time ever. I must admit I was surprised when I first read that. It's a lot of cricket. That ought to be celebrated. And now that brings me to Nathan Lyon. Often maligned, the off-spinner, unfairly maligned, as spinners so often are in this country. Forever trying to step out of the shadow of the great Shane Keith Warren. Six wickets in the fourth innings for the GOAT. But think about Lyon. He now has over 100 wickets in each innings of a test match. First, second, third, fourth. And to give you an indication of how rare a feat that is, there's only three other bowlers in history that have done it. Warren, Murali, McGrath. He's now eighth on the all-time test wicket taker list. So you tell me again how he's not elite. one 1170 Plenty of other news as well. I'll get onto the Australian Open golf. It felt like it just sort of flew under the radar a little bit, and we had the Big Bash launch today. Now, we join him each and every Monday on the program. Lockie McCurdy from Code Sports is on the line right now for the weekend wash-up. Hey, Lockie. Hello, Julian. How are you? Very well. Uh, look, let's. we had the Big Bash launch today. Hmm. How'd it go? Yes, it was a, all, all the colour and excitement they expect trying to put lipstick on a pig. <laughs> it was um, it, it was nice being the first one in a in a post COVID world. I think True. it was uh, uh, well as much as we can call it a post COVID world in terms of the cricket anyway. But uh, yeah, they had this uh, essentially a classic catch competition. They had this big launch pad set up for them to dive <laughs> on the platform about. Two metres in, in the air. And, yeah, we saw some pretty spectacular grabs. Peter Siddle doing it for the, the veterans, showing he still can get around a bit in the field. But uh, it was Nathan Ellis, for me, who shone the most, had a little flip in his dive. And it was a uh, uh, good, good way to launch the season, considering it starts next week. Peter Siddle, hey? Well, those bananas isn't... Mm. Uh... <laughs> hasn't dulled his reflexes over the years. You know, it's funny. I was watching Bluey with my kids the other day, and this is a Christmas episode where they play classic catches in the pool. And it's the one thing that dads mm. brag about, you know, you do a backflip and you oh, you hit the, you plunge into the water and you, you emerge holding the ball aloft. Is I've got it, I've got it. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot oh, of fun yeah, anyway. Definitely, that, that gets underway next week. Uh, Socceroos, of course, all the rage, all the talk, and rightly so. Uh, you got out to a live site, didn't you, in Sydney, Cumberland <laughs> Park? Yes, I was there nice and early on uh, Sunday morning. Got there about quarter to five just to take in kind of the whole. Atmosphere. It's the uh, after also doing Thursday morning's game at two AM. It was a bit hard to back up, but it was worth it just mm. for the atmosphere that was created down there. There was uh, I've seen varied reports of the numbers, but the the latest highest one I've seen is about twenty five, twenty six thousand people that were apparently down at Tumblong Park, and it definitely felt like it because obviously you had a lot in the actual park itself. You had people lining the fences, and you had people up various floors of the convention centre behind it, just trying to grab a glimpse of the screen. It was one of the more remarkable sights I've seen in Sydney, just people packed to the rafters, essentially, and trying to get any spot they can to see that screen. And to think that was all at 6am in the morning, that everyone had gotten behind this team, it was just, it was really heartening to see everyone come together just to, to be a part of this moment. And, oh, 
God, the boys almost delivered on the field. Didn't they? Well, I was going to ask you about that. I'm glad you were there to drink it in and you saw the scenes of Melbourne's Federation Square. But, you know, you hear these terms a lot, don't you? We've heard it throughout the last couple of weeks. Uh, and it's, as cliche as it, as it sounds, you know, the Aussie spirit, the Aussie DNA. But, you know, it, it was it was really evident. And clearly you could see the golf in class just with the, the, the nature of the touches from the Argentinian players. But they held their shape well, the Socceroos. And then... Sometimes you just need a bit of luck. They had a bit of luck for that second goal. We get the deflection from Craig Goodwin. All of a sudden, 2-1. And and they just, you know, you just got your second win. And just for that brief moment, you dared to believe. And they pressed hard. You know, Matty Ryan made a men some crucial save, saves at the back end of the game. Bayer had that run into the box. And then Garen Quayle. I mean, what a story that potentially could have been. But... The thing about it is, uh, yes, okay, they they didn't win, but there's no disgrace going down to a team of the class of Argentina. But it, it's not so much the fact that they made the round of 16, which is brilliant, and two clean sheets and two wins at all, but relative, Lockie, to the expectation going into this tournament and, and how people were death-riding this team during the qualification stage, that is what I'm most proud of. Absolutely. I mean, we obviously saw kind of the the comparisons to the golden generation during these this last fortnight and while they're probably not apt that that generation in 2006 was something special I think it goes to show where everyone's mindset currently was is because we're trying to catch up with what this team has achieved that they've gone to the round of 16 only the second time that an Australian team has ever done that at a, uh, a men's FIFA World Cup and it's just really remarkable that this team led basically on spirit because you're right that they're at that when you've got someone like Argentina, they're always going to be of a better quality because of the football system there. And probably the same with Denmark too. They're in the top 10 of the world for a reason. We've still got a result over them that's going to be considered one of the greatest, I think, in Australian football history when you look back at it. So the fact that this team was able to play in a way that encouraged people to get behind them, I think was the most exciting part because it wasn't like... I think that was what people got frustrated about during the France game, that... We scored that goal and sat back and then France scored four. And it wasn't that we conceded four. It was that we sat back and let them concede four. Whereas in the next two games, we had this solid structure. We looked dangerous on attack when we went forward. And it was just exciting to be really proud of this team going over there. And I've read a really interesting point that this was a team that stood up for what they believed in before they'd even gone to Qatar in terms of the World Cup being there. They made that message and then they also performed in the field, which I think made it even better to get behind this team because they just, they went over there going, okay, we've set our piece and now we're even going to let our football do the talking and make sure that people know that we want to be heard. Yeah, correct. You know, this is the team that's carved out its identity. We weren't sure what it was. You know, we weren't sure when asked, you know, what type of football did the Australians play? And you thought, okay, so you knew what type of football the Dutch played or the Brazilians played, for example. What type of football did the Australians play? Well, well, now they've taken up, they've stood up and taken notice, the Australian population. I guess the key is for the sport now in this country is to to ride this momentum <coughs> like you to capitalise it. Easier said than done, of course. I mean, we can pay lip service to it, but, you know, what is the next step for the game to, to harness this energy that, that's currently washing over the country? I think it's going to be important just to, that it's not just the impetus is put on the fans that, oh, you've got to go to the A-League and do all this, this sort of stuff to support football. Because, I mean, that has worked before, but it also kind of wears off after a while if the product doesn't keep up with this expectation. And I think in terms of football in this country, there's a, a few key steps that have to be taken. Obviously, there's all this talk about the second division that's going to be coming in with promotion and relegation. And we just need more concrete idea of what that's going to look like and how that's going to support 
uh, football in this country because what we're seeing is that youth players are kind of often struggling to find a pathway here and going overseas in the mm. Christian Falbato example, um, going to Italy. So it's about making sure that that doesn't happen, but also just making it easier for kids to play football, that they don't have to pay $2,000, $3,000 a year just to pay the exorbitant fees to, to play a sport that is played around the world and is loved by millions and is the world game. No one should have to pay that much money to, to play a sport that they're bringing something to. Yeah, and the thing about it is, I mean, it's it's gouging. You know, they, they, a lot of these fees, and they promise these kids to, to rep, play representative football, but a lot of the money that they take just gets funneled into to want to be professionals, and it's just wrong. You know, some of the these sort of subby clubs are, are paying money. Somebody made the point, you know, how many second-grade cricketers get paid? And so the, why are the equivalent in football in various states getting paid as professionals when they're not going to go onto the A-League or... No, the wrong side of 30, for example. Anyway, I mean, we could have that conversation for hours on end. Lance Morris, mm. uh, cricket fans in this country, and I know you love your shield, would be forgiven for not knowing that name, but he has a reputation. It's a growing reputation as a quick in this country. He, he really does. And it's the fact that he's only made his first class debut, I think it was October 2020. So just over two years, he, he's been on the scene now, and he just continues to impress people with... You kind of mentioned at the top of the show this raw talent and this speed that can't be taught that he's just so willing to, to throw everything into his bowling action and into his bowling. And that's why we're seeing him reach speeds of 152, 153 kilometres an hour so consistently at the moment. And I mean, um, as we said, I was at the BBL launch today and talking to a few of his Western Australian teammates who were there. It was so easy to say when you just asked them, is he the quickest in Australian domestic cricket? And they go, yeah, without a doubt. And no. I was chatting chatting to Hilton Carr and he's like he'll sometimes just go yeah I'm going to bowl around the wicket at training in the net and you just there's nowhere else in the world that you would you want to be anywhere else besides there and while he's got this short bumper that can knock the socks off anybody it's his ability to and hit the top of off the next ball that I think is really impressive and what a lot of his teammates have gone okay that's what that's what's going to be really exciting for the future can you see Adelaide going five days Oh, it's going to be tough. It doesn't go five days at the best of time. Never goes five days. The, the, the pink ball moving around and stuff like that. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I, like you, I was really impressed with um, the West Indies batting performance. If, I really hope that we kind of get to see them bat first just so they get a total and they can get a bit of a lead because we haven't seen the Aussies behind in this series yet. They obviously scored massively in the first innings and were kind of in control of the test from there. If... The West Indies can bat first and get to 300, 350 and really put the pressure on the Aussies. I think it'll put a, be a really interesting scenario. Just that extra bit of pressure can really do crazy things in the game of cricket. Yeah, it can. No doubt uh, their bevy of, of fast bowlers would be loving to get their hands on a pink ball mm. and you know, Babs bowl in the twilight there in Adelaide. Your takeaways from the Perth test, uh, who impressed you? Obviously, you know, the batting heavy results are there with the Stuart <coughs> Barnes and Smithy in particular, Travis Head, 99. And Perth seems to be a venue for 99s too, funnily enough. I think <laughs> he was the seventh now, you know, the other six at the Wacker. And, and then Nathan Lyon, who did what all good spinners should do on the fifth day, is is wrap it up. Yeah, absolutely. I think Lyon's definitely the one you go, okay, that was good to see him really contribute to an important win for the Aussies because they have struggled of late closing matches out in that fourth innings and getting the wickets they needed. Other, we've seen England bat for a draw, India bat for a draw, and it kind of became something we got a bit too used to. So it's nice to see them bust that trend. And 
Um, obviously, Marnus and Steve Smith, you can't go past their batting performances. But I was really impressed with Mitchell Stark. I thought uh, we saw some really good red ball bowling for him that in, for the most part of that first West Indies innings when they kind of were frustrating the Aussie bowlers, he was the one who, who kept looking dangerous and, and looked like taking wickets throughout the middle order, used that short ball really well. So I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what sort of summer he has ahead of him, obviously with the pink ball now, but just a, a consistent five-test summer where he has a, a really big impact across the next four tests would be really good. We know the affinity that Mitchell Stark has with the pink ball in Adelaide, so I expect mm. him to, to continue that form. And this is the thing about Stark, just give him a new ball and let him rip in. You know, Don't think about conserving runs, just bowl fast, swing it, bowl full and, and try and take wickets. And Josh Hazelwood, of course, who... You know, his figures didn't reflect how good he was. He should have, could have mm. easily had four or five. I mean, he consistently beat the bat. And uh, we're very lucky to have the depth that we have in this country. You know, the three prominent quicks. And you have the calibre of a, a Boland or a Nisa or a Jai Richards waiting in the wings or, or Lance Morris, for that matter, that, you know, need injury or COVID to get a start. But uh, we shall wait and see. Now, second test gets underway next week. What's happening in Code Sports, mate? Plenty to come out of uh, the BBL launch as well as a few other bits and pieces that I'm working on. Uh, yeah, it's going to be uh, interesting to see us really fully into cricket season now. I think everyone's attention, that, that one eye was on the FIFA World Cup and watching that soccer is run. But now I, I think the, the attention will properly turn to uh, Australian cricket. And I think we obviously spoke about last week or a few weeks ago that it just didn't feel like the test summer had started. I think we'll start to feel like it now that we've had one test under our back, under our arm and, yeah, we're fully away now. Yes, cricket yearning for that clean air. Thank you, mate. Always good to get your insights. We'll catch all your work in Code Sports. Anytime, Jules. There he's Lachlan McCurdy. 0457 736 736. The target, 343. Pakistan, 5 for 258. Need another 85 runs of final session. They're five down. So we heard about how Nathan Lyon... Closed out the game with six wickets. Can Jack Leach do the same for England? Certainly not a bowler in the same calibre, Jack Leach. These figures, none for 55 off 16 overs. We are up and running. Special edition of High Ground this Monday night with Julian King, a breaking back. Breakthrough for England. Ollie Robinson gets the wicket of Salman LBW for 30. So six wickets down now. This is going to go right down to the wire. Pakistan, six for 259. Need another 84 runs, but they are into the bowlers. So if, my, if I'm a betting man, my money's on England now. And Nassim Shah, the 19-year-old, the new batter to the crease, is just doing a little bit off the pitch now. So this pitch has really come to life here in Royal Pindy. It's a bit trampoliny, not dissimilar to Melbourne on a good day. 0457 736 736. That is the text line number. Julian King with you all up and down the east coast across the SEN network this Monday night. Now, I did mention a couple of those stats before I caught up with Lockie McCurdy from Code Sports from the test just completed in Perth about Steve Smith and, and Nathan Lyon and how he's unfairly treated as a spin bowler. Six wickets, he's cleaned up. Only the third player in history, Nathan Lyon, sorry, fourth player in history, to have taken 100 wickets in each innings of the Test match, along with Warren Murali McGrath. So that's how elite we're talking here. And I mentioned Shane Warne, so we have to congratulate the late Shane Warne. Warney, well done to him. He's been elevated to legend status in the Sport Australia Hall of Fame. Uh, nine months to the day of his devastating death. He's become the fifth cricketer, Shane Warner, history to be bestowed the honour. So he joins Don Bradman, Keith Miller, Richie Benno and Dennis Keith Lilly to be recognised with such an honour. He joined the Hall of Fame, Shane Warne, in 2009, became eligible for legend status this year, following 15 years of retirement from Test cricket. And Warney was joined by track and field great Ron Clark, 
Well done, Ronnie. Named as a legend this weekend. Of course, Ron Clark, if you love your track and field and love your Olympic Games, consider one of the best athletes of all time, never to win a gold at the Olympics. Bronze in the 10,000 in 1964. It was an upset of sorts. Also won four Com Games silver medals. Used to train at altitude as well. The great Emil Zatopak gave him one of his own gold medals, which Ron Clark described as one of his most cherished presents. Of course, Ronnie was the former Gold Coast Mayor. So congratulations to Shane Warne and Ronnie, <clears throat> pardon me, and uh, Ronnie Clark for being elevated into the legend status in the Australian Sports Hall of Fame. one 300 one Now, the Australian Open Golf, this most prestigious golf tournament, took place this weekend. And I did say at the top of the program, it just felt, it felt a bit under-promoted to me. Just a bit under-promoted. The format was different. I didn't mind a change-up. Not everyone was happy with it. But well done to Poland's greatest ever golfer, Adrian Meronk, who stared down his boyhood idol, Adam Scott. He won by five strokes in the end pretty comfortably. He's the first Polish golfer to win on the DP World Tour when he won the Irish Open in July. Two starts of the new season. Had a second with a closing round of 466 to win the PGA Tour of Australasia. And then one behind Scotty heading into the final round, got into the lead, never looked back. Minwoo Lee, congratulations to Minwoo. He's a good character too. Came third. He will go to the British Open next year. Ashley Buhai won the Women's Trophy. World number one, Kip Poppett, stormed home to win the All Abilities. So he had three tournaments running concurrently. The men's and women's and the All Abilities. Run at the Victorian Golf Club as well as Kingston Heath. Now, in theory, I don't mind it. The problem is it started to clog up the courses a little bit. It really slowed play down. And the major talking point among the players, especially in the men's championship, you had the 54-hole cut, which only the top 30 players and ties would have a shot at the final round. So you had the standard cut halfway through, 36-hole, and then they have another one at 54. Now, for those who follow the golf in this country, that the second cut has been successfully used for a number of years at the Vic Open. And that's what people say, oh, well, it's been used at the Vic Open. Great. doesn't necessarily mean it applies to the Australian Open. Because a lot of people were questioning the validity of a 54-hole cut just because there were so many people on the course. Think about it, right? So the Open champ, Cam Smith, won the PGA in Queensland. Biggest tournament draw card. One of the top three golfers on the planet. Just snuck into the weekend. Then Golf Australia were holding out hopes he'd shoot a score sufficiently low to make the top 30 for, and survive that 54-hole cut. His third round, 69, left him tied 47. He was only two shots off a Sunday tea time. Now, think about it. If he was still alive on Sunday, two shots, I mean, who knows what sort of run he could have made, Cameron Smith. The fact that he didn't make it after the 54-hole cut would have affected attendances, surely. I understand why they do it logistically. I can't say I'm a fan of the 54-hole cut. You think about it with all the extra players, the rounds are very long. Lucas Herbert, he said, I think one of his rounds took five and a half hours. On top of that, so many people to cater for. And then Adam Scott, there was a courtesy car that didn't show up, I thought I read. So as I mentioned, a logistical challenge. I've got no problem with a mixed event. Don't mind it in theory. And maybe this was the test case for years to come because I'm not sure they're going to change it. But whatever they've done, they're going to learn from their shortcomings, learn what they can do better, the organisers, and they needs to be far more efficient. one 300 Give me a call.
What did you make of the sports across the course of the weekend? And the text line 0457 736 736. The target 343. Pakistan uh, 6 for 260. Day 5 at Roll Pindy. Yeah, this pendulum firmly swinging towards England now. Picked up another wicket, 7 for 260. So they put the brakes on the Pakistani scoring, still requiring 83 runs, but only three wickets left in the shed. Ollie Robinson been the destroyer. Got four wickets now, four for 48. You just got Azhar Ali, the key wicket too, Azhar Ali. Uh, very sharp captaincy too there from Ben Stokes, putting the leg slip in and strangled him, just caught down the leg side. So caught Joe Root, who's on 40 as well. You felt that if they're going to win that. Azhar Ali probably had to be there. Uh, close to the very end. So Zahid Mahmood, Nassim Shah, two new batters at the crease. So the seven down and still require 83 runs, Pakistan. So England now in the box seat to claim the first test in this tour of Pakistan, historical tour of Pakistan, and that test being played at Royal Pindi. Now, NFL fans, a stunning conclusion to Tom Brady's NFL career has been floated. With claims, what about this, that Brady could return to the Patriots. Are we doing this, really? It's about 100, Tom Brady. Mind you, now that he's divorced, might add another 10 years to his career. So the Athletics' Jeff Howe, who's got pretty strong links to the Boston club, reckons they're a contender, the Patriots, should Brady look for a new home after he comes out of contract at the end of this season. So Tampa Bay have been pretty average this year. They lead an NFC South division that's woeful. They're five and six heading into tomorrow's clash with New Orleans. A legitimate chance of a team you know, with a losing record in the quarters making a playoff. So the NFC, pretty weak this year. Philly looks strong. Minnesota's record is a bit inflated. Dallas, well, you don't know how Dallas is going to go. And you think about Tampa Bay, so it's not Brady's fault. But he could be an option now for a team like San Francisco. Garoppolo's injured. Vegas, coached by his old defensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels. Tennessee, the Titans, coached by old mate Mike Vrabel. Or, indeed, New England who haven't got as much as they perhaps would have hoped from Mac Jones in his second season at quarterback. But how wrote in the Athletic, Browdy and Belichick have an abundance of respect for one another, made points to say it publicly on multiple occasions since the QB departed for Tampa. They also spent 23 minutes together in the visiting locker room at Gillette Stadium following Brady's return in 2021, an appointment they set up prior to the game. Now, are these whispers about a possible Brady return to New England going to grow louder? Because the Patriots slated to have more than $50 million in cap space in 2023. So what does Brady do? Does he want to do it? Does he have it in him? Because remember, he retired, then unretired. It's one of these things where they say retirement's not all it's cracked up to be. At least he, he unretired pretty quickly, Tom Brady. But can you see it happening? Tom Brady returning to the NFL. And maybe he can there can mentor Mac Jones. Who knows? Bill Simmons. Not only is Brady return feasible, it makes total sense. We will watch this space. Speaking of NFL, running through the stack of results that happened today. We've got the Falcons went down to the Steelers, 19 points to 16. The Vikings, 27, defeated the Jets, 22. The Lions thumped the Jaguars, 40 points to 14. The Eagles, 35 over the Titans, 10. Giants and Commanders, 20 points apiece. Well done to the Cleveland Browns, 27-14, away win against the Texans. The Raiders just scraped home against the Broncos, 10-9. The 49ers, as I mentioned, Garoppolo injured, uh, 33 over 17. The Rams have gone down to the Seahawks. What has happened to the Rams? Super Bowl champions, uh, 27-23. The Raiders, 27-20 over the Chargers. 
Uh, the Bengals, tight affair with them knocked off the Chiefs. Big win for the Bengals too, 27 points to 24. And the Cowboys have destroyed destroyed the Indianapolis Colts, 54 to 19. And speaking to the Buccaneers, Tom Brady's Buccaneers, they take on the Saints tomorrow, 12, 15 p.m. Eastern time. 0457 736 736. That is the text line number. Just back to the World Cup for a moment. So we had those results. France 3, Poland 0. That was at the Al Thumama Stadium. So Kylian Mbappe, check out this goal if you haven't seen it. Said it was a history-making goal. He set it up for Oliver Giroud and then to himself. So he's had a hand in everything. So they eased into the World Cup quarterfinals. 3-1 win over Poland this morning. So Giroud's opening goal was a minute before halftime. He's 52nd for his country. Of course, he scored against Australia. He passed Thierry Henry to become France's all-time record marksman. And then a couple of goals from Mbappe secured the win. They are tournament heavyweights. The first of his was in the 74th minute. And then the other end, the threat of Robert Lewandowski was snuffed out by the French defence, although the 34-year-old Poland captain did get the consolation of scoring a stoppage time penalty in, wait for it, the 99th minute. The 99th minute. England free, Senegal nil. So well done to England. England fans are daring to believe. So they have to buy new jerseys now, the second star. He's only got the one to represent 1966. They started slowly. They found short a couple of times. Jordan Pickford helped him in goal. Jordan Henderson, the other Jordan, settled England's nerves. 38th minute. Stroke the ball home after being played in by Jude Bellingham. Hasn't he impressed? A lovely move. Then Harry Kane. Well done to Harry Kane and all these Spurs fans are celebrating Harry Kane. A ferocious shot past the goalkeeper, Mendy, the Senegalese goalkeeper. The last kick of the first half. Half now leaves Kane one goal behind Wayne Rooney's record of 53 goals for England. I didn't realise he scored that many, Harry Kane. So they scored 12 goals so far, England. Equals their previous best World Cup total as Russia 2018. That was the last time that when they made the semi, scored 11 in winning the world title in 1966. So they won the comp in 1966, scoring 11 goals. They've scored 12 so far and they haven't even played their quarterfinal match. And that game will be against France. An absolute beauty. I mentioned Alex, who works with us, likes Luke Shaw and Mbappe. And I see Gary Neville says, no, but that Kyle Walker's the man to put on him. Now you can hear all the action live right here on SEN, starting at 2 o'clock, coverage at 1.30, all, all times in Eastern Daylight Time, Japan and Croatia. Croatia undefeated in nine of its last 10 World Cup matches. They're doing pretty well, Croatia. It's only lost that, that one coming four years ago in Russia when France knocked them out 4-2. That was in the final, of course. So Croatia has progressed past the last 16 in its previous two World Cup matches. Japan not progressed beyond the round of 16. They suffered defeats in 2002, 2010, and 2018. And then Brazil and South Korea. See, I like Brazil. A lot of Man United players. Stadium 974, 6 a.m., so a slightly more family-friendly time for that one. As I mentioned here, all the action live right here on SEN. Brazil spurred on them by the news of Pelé's health. So you would have come across this on the weekend. They thought, no, it's, the clock's ticking on Pelé, but it seems to be making a recovery, which is great news. So the end of the game is tournament favourites, Brazil. South Korea, the lowest-ranked team to progress, but you know, the Brazilian coach has to decide now, and I heard the Global Game Boys talking about this, Neymar, the superstar, he's had that ankle injury, kept him out of the last two matches. Do you, do you disrupt the flow? that they've had, or do you just say, well, he's Neymar, you've got to find a way to get him in there? I don't know. It seems to me that Neymar being Neymar, you've got to find a spot for him the side, do you not? 
0457 736 736. Seven for 262. And so England require three more wickets. Pakistan require 81 more runs. Just bringing some AFL news to our listeners in case you missed it. Uh, Max Lawton's reporting. West Coast forward Isaiah Winder was involved in an alleged incident this past weekend in Geelong. It's been investigated at the moment by Victoria Police. So, Seven Perth's Ryan Daniels reported the allegation involved Winder being part of a physical altercation while under the influence of alcohol following the AFL, AFLPA, Indigenous and Multicultural Players Summit. Now, Daniels added that Winder has been stood down from the Eagles AFL program, can trade with the Waffle Players and News Club facilities. The Eagles confirmed in a statement that they had been made aware of an incident in Geelong after the AFL, AFLPA, Indigenous and Multicultural Players Summit on the weekend involving player Isaiah Winder. The AFL have been informed of the alleged incident. And as this matter is currently under investigation by Victoria Police, we are unable to make any further comment. The club will fully cooperate with Victoria Police and provide support to Isaiah through the investigation. So we'll wait and see the outcome of that investigation. Seven for 263, men all around the bat now. It was two wickets and two overs. It was Ollie Robinson, the man that got the breakthrough. Seven down, two for six, 263 in the pursuit of 343. So still need another 80 runs, so they haven't scored. Last 10 overs, they've scored eight runs. Pakistan lost two wickets. So they've really thrown the anchor down. Throwing the anchor down. So well done to England. They fought back. Been a fascinating test match to get 500 in day one. Quite astonishing. And just century makers all over the place. So record's broken, but we've got to have a result. This is a thing. I mean, normally you get two teams batting so heavily, but because they scored quickly, you give yourself time. Now, that was a criticism of the Aussie team for so many years during the great Steve Wall reign. Because they scored so fast, and even then you're talking an average of four points something and over, it gave teams a chance to get back into the test match or affect a result. Oval 5-7-7-3-6-7-3-6. That is the text line number, the open line number, one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. 1170 In the next hour of the program, I'll catch up with my mate Ian McCulloch, sports journalist in the UK. I'll get his take on how things are looking over there, how bullish, how excited they are about England's chances. Can they win the first World Cup since 1966? And I'll get his take as well on this gripping test match at Royal Pindy between Pakistan and England. Now, Nick Bolateri, sad news. I'll talk about this when I have a bit more time now, after the break. The great tennis coach, Nick Bolateri, has passed away. Wonderful player, famously coached Andre Agassi, Steffi Graf, a handful of others, including Tommy Haas, who's posted a, a wonderful tribute to the great tennis coach, Nick Bolateri, on his Instagram. I'll read that for you as well, but, you know, the funny thing is, and I love my tennis, I'm no good at it. But my cousin, who was a good junior player, he, he loved Bolateri because he idolised Andre Agassi. And one of his key, the key tenets, Bolateri, of his coaching philosophy was hit the ball on the rise. And I always thought about that, hit the ball on the rise. So rest in peace, the great tennis coach, Nick Bolateri. One hour down, one hour to go. You are listening to Higher Ground this Monday night, right across the SE Network with Julian King. Stick around. Second out of the program, you know, it's funny. I'm all for picking specialist wicket keepers because every time the pitch starts to get a little bit tricky, sticky, dicey, this is when you want the best club and in the business to take the catches. It's all well and good if they can get you a few runs, but I tell you what, I mean, how many runs do they save a good keeper? That's how you got to weigh it up. And Ollie Pope is not necessarily a first-choice keeper. He's taken an absolute screamer down the leg side. Nassim Shah, the man to go. Was it Nassim Shah? I'll check that. May not have been Nassim Shah. No, in fact, it was Zahid Mahmood.
caught by Lee Pope down the leg side. Jimmy Anderson got his third wicket. Uh, they can sniff the victory now. England eight for 264. Target 343. So it's been a prolific session for England, the final session. But eight four two sixty four one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. That is the open line number. Keep those texts coming in oh four five seven seven three six seven three six. I'll catch up with Ian McCulloch, sports journalist, live from London shortly in the program for his UK report. But just before the break, I mentioned about the passing of legendary tennis coach Nick Bollettieri. He has died earlier today at the age of ninety one. International Hall of Famer. He died in his hometown of Bradenton, Florida. In fact, it was on Sunday. Uh, he had one of the most impressive resumes, too, when it came to coaching. He mentored, as I mentioned, Andre Agassi, former world number one. Courier, Celis, Sharapova, Mary Pierce, all occupied the number one ranking. And Bolletieri worked with the likes of Venus and Serena Williams during the early stages of their careers. He's coach Anna Kornikova, Sabine Lasicki, and Tommy Haas. So Tommy Haas and Lasicki, both of them paid emotional tributes to the American great on social media. Tommy Haas said this, so many memories. I'm not sure where to begin. Nikki, that's how I've called you for the longest time. Thank you for your time, knowledge, commitment, expertise, a willingness to share your skill, your personal interest in mentoring me, giving me the best opportunity to follow my dreams. You are a dreamer and a doer and a pioneer in our sport, truly one of a kind. Surely we'll miss you around the academy, our tennis talks. Miss showing off your tan. He had a pretty decent tan as well. Pretty decent tan. White teeth, body fat, miss watching you do Tai Chi, playing golf with your, trying, watching you trying to cheat, eating a Snickers bar, running for the bushes, hearing all about your plans at the age of 91. Thanks again for everything, RIP Nikki. So a nice heartfelt tribute there from Tommy Haas. So rest in peace, Nick Bolletieri. He's also called a dreamer and a doer, a pioneer in our sport, according to Sabine Lasicki. So rest in peace, the great... Tennis coach Nick Bolletieri has died at the age of 91.0457.736.736. And back to the Socceroos. And if you were at the live sites across the weekend, what was the atmosphere like? Was it hopeful? Was there a sort of sense of inevitability that they're going to get us? But you know what? If you play them 100 times and you only win once, you hope it's that one time and not the 99 others. But there's good reason to be highly optimistic about what the future could look like for this Socceroos side. So, yeah, you've got the elder statesmen like your Matty Ryans, like your, your Aaron Moyes, who, probably, who aren't going to be there in four years' time. Harry Souter, who was the standout in Qatar. You know, Stoke City looking to sell him. They set off the back of that. And this is the beautiful thing about World Cup football, is that it puts you on a global stage. It, you put yourself under the spotlight. And all of a sudden... You're playing in the shadows, and everybody stands up and takes notice. So Harry Suter, how many people had heard of Harry Suter? Acquitted himself beautifully. He's still only 24, Harry Suter. He had a nice centre-back partnership. Kai Rolls, also 24. So you fig- figure they're going to be the backbone of Australia's next two World Cup cycles. Garen Coyle, who almost scored the 18-year-old Dynamo, is going to join Newcastle United in the Premier League next month. Never started a game. Almost scored in the leveller against Argentina. Keanu Bacchus, good pace, the former Wanderers midfielder, now plays with St Mirren in Scotland. And a few teams play, in, a few of the Aussie players play in Scotland. Performed admirably against the great Lionel Messi. So plenty to look forward to. 
Ninth wicket gone. They are crumbling now, Pakistan. Still requires 79 runs. England just need the solitary wicket. Jimmy Anderson gets his fourth. Got Harris, Ralph, LBW, a man is no doubt keeping one eye on the screen. Is Ian McCulloch from the UK. Oh, we haven't played his intro for a while, have we, Pat? We better do this. Now get this. London colleges, I was there too. And you know what they said? Well, some of it was true. London calling at the top of the dial. And after all this, won't you give me a smile? Well, they were celebrating in England after a, a pretty impressive 3 0 win over Senegal. They started slowly and they came home with a wet sail, and then you turn your eyes to Royal Pindi, a really fascinating test match where every result was in the balance on day five, which is really what you want in test match cricket. And for a moment, I thought that, gee, Pakistan could steal this from the fire. And uh, Ollie Robinson, two wickets and two overs, and of course, the ageless Jimmy Anderson's got himself another. And one wicket away, in McCulloch, uh, good evening or good morning to you, I should say. Good morning, mate. How are you? Going very well. Uh, you're watching the cricket. Nine down. Looks like they're pretty much home, England. Yeah, they are. I mean, it's kind of pretty non-eventful for the first sort of two and a half days, really. You know, both sides racking up enormous scores. But um, incredible. It's just the way this England team play. They've kind of created a test match out of it, you know, under the leadership of Ben Stokes. And um, that's what you want, really, isn't it? You know, you've got to take a chance of losing a game to win a game. And... Um, I was like you, I thought Pakistan would be home in hose when they were four down, but so often you see with a, a tea break or a lunch break, it gives the bowling mm. team a bit of, bit more energy and they come out and it looks like they're, they're going uh, to gonna, gonna win a memorable test match. Yes, indeed. It's just doing a little bit too now, the pitch. It seems a bit almost sort of springy, a bit trampoliney, you know, and uh, you see the expertise of Jimmy Anderson who's been in this situation time and time again. Nice to see Robinson amongst the wickets once more. The thing about it is, you know, they're not necessarily the best test team on the planet, but the way they're playing, uh, they're up there or probably the most exciting as uh, Stokes beats the outside edge of Nassim's bat. Now, the World Cup, 3-0. Uh, what's the mood like on the ground there? Uh, it's a mouthwatering clash in the quarters against against France coming up, but is there a sense that, that England can go all the way or are people still a bit, I guess, circumspect in that regard? Um, oh, well, they, they, everyone always goes over the top during the World Cup here. Um, I mean, against the USA, they were the worst team in the world. And after beating the Wales, they were the best team in the world. <laughs> hey, so, I saw some of your tweets too. You're very unkind to, to Mason Mount and others. Oh, Mason Mount, yeah. For me, he uh, he's a good Premier League player, Mason Mount. But for me, he's not He's not good enough to be playing for England personally. Mm. He's, you know, he could argue he should be in the squad. But, I mean, they've got this kid, 19-year-old Bellingham, who looks an absolute, what a talent he is. Uh, yeah. Now, just, um, just for our listeners, just to tell us a bit about Bellingham because most people down under, they follow the Premier League and don't really venture outside of that in Europe. But he's over in Germany. Yeah, well, basically, his story is he, he made his debut for Birmingham City in the Championship as a 16-year-old. He was the youngest ever player to play for them. And he was picked up. I think he played like less than a season for Birmingham and then Borussia Dortmund come and signed him for, for big money and uh, Birmingham City did something that's never done in, you never see it in football it's a very American thing they retired his jersey number wow, <laughs> wow. and he's gone to he, but I mean you, you're playing centre midfield in the championship which is a really tough 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 league just in terms of you know the number of games they play in that you've got something about you and then 
Uh, I actually saw him play. Um, thinking about it, he didn't really stand out. He got, I think he got substituted in the game I saw. But you've got to take into account how young he was. Mm. He's gone to Germany, he's 19. He's captain in Borussia Dortmund's team at 19. So a young man, he's gone over there, learnt the language. He's got an old head on young shoulders, and yeah, he, he just looks uh, what a player he looks. Um, you know, set up two of the goals yesterday. He just ticks all the boxes of what you want from a midfielder. Um, something I haven't had for many a year, this, this type of player. Um, I still think there's question marks about England defensively. I think a better team, a team with better strikers than the Senegal could could have been 2 up last night. Maguire oh. and Stones looked uncertain, shall we say. But, you know, when you've got players like Kane in attack who can find the net and, you know, Bellingham, it's going to be tough against France. I think, you know, the, the, the pace of Mbappe really could cause England some problems at the back. But, um, you know, there is a feeling that if you're going to win a World Cup, you're going to be the best teams. And, yeah. you know, this is the France team that is missing some key players as well. So, yeah, Saturday night, 7 o'clock kickoff. I think the, the pubs are going to be rammed over here for that one. <laughs> I, I want to talk about that more in a moment. Just some reflections on the 3-0 game, a win against Senegal. A slow start for England. and You know, Jordan Pickford kept them in the game, but, you know, it was Jordan Henderson, mm. a nice little passing move there too. You mentioned their Bellingham move from what you're telling me, he's potentially a, a future captain. And then, uh, speaking of captains, Harry Kane uh, found the back of the net in a come at the hour, of course. I didn't realise now he's, he's only one behind Rooney's record of 53 goals for England, Harry. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of almost gone about it a bit quietly. Um, I mean, he played well yesterday, Kane, because, I mean, where England, for me, they are lacking is that you saw the two centre-backs last night, they, they were giving the ball away because there was no one coming deep from midfield to kind of give them the passing option. And so what you're seeing is Kane is dropping very deep to get the ball, but he's such a good player. He, he scores goals, but he's also he's, he's, he's a very smart player, and you know he's a lot. He's a very similar player to Sheringham in many ways. He's never had any pace, but he's just very smart. Yeah, very smart footballer. Um, yeah, and 50, well, 50 odd goals for England. Yeah, it's an incredible effort, really. Um, but you know, he, there's some talk about you know this could be his last season at Tottenham. You know, he, he's never won anything. That's the thing. At club level, <laughs> Tottenham haven't won a trophy since 2008. So, you know, they talk about Bayern Munich potentially going for him, or you know, maybe Liverpool. But, um, but yeah, he's, he's been, but it's been a good World Cup though. I mean, it's been the last week or so. It's been really, really, really exciting. The whole thing. I've really, really quite enjoyed it. Especially the end of the group stages, where uh, it was a group age where where so many different outcomes were impossible were, were possible. Costa Rica could have been out; they could have gone through. It was a very very open okay. affair. And uh, Australia, I know, obviously, you spend a lot of time here. Ian, uh, did you keep your eye on the mm. Socceroos? Uh, they punched above their weight, certainly. You know, two one losing to Argentina, it's certainly no disgrace in this World Cup. Particularly if you look at this squad, and I made the point that heading into it after. He had a lot of hiccups through qualifying, and he just made it in the beating Peru and penalties. And then, you know, most Australian sports fans, casual Australian sports fans, wouldn't be able to name half the side. They're lucky to be named quarter of the side. Yeah. But now, after watching it, all of a sudden, we're, we're on the Harry Suter bandwagon, and Stoke City are thinking, beautiful, added a few zeros to, to his price. And, mm. you know, he's a young player. What, what did you get out of the Socceroos this, this World Cup? Oh, I thought they'd been brilliant. I thought they... I mean, it's always going to be tough starting against France, but I mean, they started really well against the French. The, the, the 15 minutes, they looked the side, scored. Yeah. Took the lead with a really good goal. Unlucky with, could have been 2-0 up with a, a Mitchell Duke shot that went just, uh, flew just wide of the post. But 
I mean, fair. I mean, they've got some excellent um, coverage over here. There's been a lot of respect poured towards. I mean, to get out of that group, that's a tough group. Yeah, it's a really tough group. Um, you know, and Denmark are no slouches. Tenth um, in the world, I and mean, you know. yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm really really pleased for for Graham Arnold. I covered a lot of the A League when I worked in Australia and dealt a lot with him. And you know, I've never understood he gets a lot of criticism. Mm. Uh, I never really understood why. He's, he, you know, he's a real good servant for Australian football. Um, perhaps he's not good sitting and didn't go so well with him when he was leading the team in the uh, the Asian Cup in 2007 with that sort of golden generation of Australian players, but. You know, there's no greater servant for Australian football than Graham Arnold, and he deserves everything that's coming, all the credit that's coming his way. And as you say, a very unheralded team. It's probably, well, just to get to the World Cup, really, with that squad of players, with great respect to them, none of them, you know, you look at the, the 2006 World Cup team with, you know, Kale and Kuehl and Bresciano yeah. and these kind of players. Yeah. There's, there's, there's no, no superstars in the team, but mm. they're a, a team that's playing above themselves and working for each other and a few standout performers, and the irony is that the player you would say is the most well-known name, well-known player is Matt Ryan, and unfortunately for him, he had that mistake, which led to Argentina's yeah. second goal, and mm. uh, which is hard. He's had a good, a good tournament, and again, he's been a good, good player for Australia. But I mean, I've always said that the future of soccer in Australia depends on the national team doing well at reaching the World Cup, because if they don't, you fear for the future of it. And yeah. The money it brings into the game, and I think you know, hopefully, well, the expanded the World Cup now, yeah, to go to what forty-eight teams. So there's really no excuse for yeah, the soccer but regional. Think, but it, but it, but it needs the world. I mean, the A League now needs to chip in. You need to, you need to be bigger and better. You know, look at the MLS in Australia. I know the, the corporate dollar for sport and it's hard to come by, but they've got to build on this. They can't let this slip away. And you want to get the stage where these players aren't playing in St Mirren. They're not playing for Motherwell and these types of clubs. They're mm. playing for strong Australian teams. Mm. That, that's got to be the goal now for, correct. You know, for football in Australia. Correct, correct. And you know what? The other thing too is if you, know, if, if you do funnel more of these players into the elite European competitions, like you mentioned, that golden generation where you had Kuehl and Viduka and Kale and Lucas Neal and all these guys playing the Premier League. At the moment, I don't think, I think there's one. Uh, is there? I'm just trying to think. Oh, I may have missed one. But I don't think there's one. You know, of course, Matty Ryan was. He's not there now. Um, you know, Harry The boys at Newcastle. The only oh, Garrett, well, Garrett, yeah, man. and he hasn't started yet, of, of course. So he, he's an exciting prospect. He's 18. He's got an abundance of speed. You know, Harry Suter, there's talk about West Ham making overtures. So, you know, there's a lot of green shoots to emerge with the Socceroos from this World Cup. Uh, let's just quickly have a look at the games. Uh, early hours in the morning, our time are Japan, Croatia. Croatia have been, I guess, one of the success stories of the world game, haven't they, over the past sort of four or so years? Oh, yeah, they're a great football country for the, the, the size of the nation and yeah, they always produce good players and I think this is a, a team, they're, 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 they're kind of coming to the end of this cycle of, I mean, Modric is not 37, 38 now, but he's, yeah. you know, he's still a, he's not the player he was, but he's still a good player. I think Japan will fancy themselves in this one. I think they've been really good, Japan. Um, you know, beaten Spain and Germany. That's a, that's a, that's a fair effort. Yeah, yeah. You know, take out the Costa Rica defeat, but um, but yeah, it's. I think Japan will win that. Yeah, I, I'm tipping the Japanese to to go one step further, and uh, wow. I'm sure. I mean, Croatia will return. They always, as I say, they've always got good, strong players. But I think they're an older team now, and I think this could be the end of their the end of their cycle. How do you place Brazil? Are they your favourites to win the tournament? They take on South Korea. 
yeah, they they look really good in that first game against um, Serbia. They look really good. Um, I think it's quite open, but I mean the best. I mean, it's yeah. I think I mean just the depth of squad they've got. I mean, I'm not too sure what the with a name I was going to play tonight or not. He's missed the last two games. Well, that's interesting. Um, like, do, do you pick him because he's Neymar is the question? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, I, I love Neymar. I think he's a brilliant player. I yeah. think he gets a lot of criticism. He dives around and that. He gets a lot. He, gets, he does get kicked a lot. But I think mm. you're, you're a better team with him in, in your 11 than you are without him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, they showed that losing to Cameroon. All right, they made nine changes. I think Brazil, but you, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have tipped that to happen. Again, even though it was a dead rubber for them, so to speak. Yeah. Um, it, so it, they'll be getting their wins. But I mean, I, I'd be surprised if they're not at least the semi-final. Brazil. You know what's interesting? In, in Brazil, for so many people, impartial fans, they're, they're kind of the second team, right? Because people. You know, love the way in which they play their football and they've got their reputation as the greatest international side. But but I wonder over in England, you know, so say, for example, England, if they lose to France, do England jump on Brazil? And the reason I say that is because there's such a high Premier League representation. Because you think about Alisson and, you know, Edison and you know, Casemiro and, and Anthony and, and yeah. you know, there's plenty more, I'm sure, I've, I've missed. Um, you know, Martinelli is doing wonders with Arsenal. I mean, there's such a high mm. Premier League representation that I wonder there if, you know, Rich Arlison, who had that wonderful goal in, the, in that opening game, yeah. you know, if because of that reason, because I think this is the reason why a lot of Aussies used to go for England back in the day, because they knew and identified with the players. And I wonder now, you know, if the same would apply with Brazil. Possibly, yeah. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um I think that there would be more people cheering for Brazil than would Argentina, for example, <laughs> um, or or European sides. But, yes. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I think I think I think you are right. There's there's always a kind of um, everyone sort of sees Brazil as a second team, and um, although they haven't really played that with that sort of samba style that everyone stereotypically mm. talks about, it's mm. been more functional than um, than outstanding as they were sort of in the eighties when they. You know those great players. Um, yeah, possibly, possibly. I think, I think they are, they're the favourites to win it for a reason. Uh, I think, I think Argentina are coming strong now. I think they feel a little, a little bit battle hardened. Yeah. You know, losing that first game—that was a real tough game against the Aussies. They come through that. Um, I think oh, it, it, if I was having a bet now, I, I think Argentina could be the team with Messi just in the form he's in. I think. Wow. I think they could be the team that, wow. that could win it, but well, it's um, open. I'm being very unprofessional here. I, I haven't studied the. I'm not too sure if Brazil meet Argentina um, at any stage, whether they would meet if they progress. Well, it's funny, you but, know. Um, the, it, yeah, I mean, it's so open. The whole tournament's so open, yeah, which is what you want from a World Cup, ultimately. Okay, uh, Gary, before we let you go, Gary Neville says, Walker's the man to play in Mbappe. A few around the office, Rick, maybe Luke Shaw. I mean, how do you match up against somebody like that? Um, well, if anyone can do it, it's Kyle Walker. He plays, obviously, for Man City every week. He's used to playing in big matches. He's been a, a top player for, you know, 10, 12 years, Kyle Walker. Um, I mean, he's got pace, isn't he? You'd rather Kyle Walker up against him than than Harry Maguire. So I don't know what. They, I mean, I think Giroud's a very good player. I think mm. he's under. I think he's very underrated, Giroud. 
He's had a really good career. You know, he's scoring goals. I think the owners could be they worry too much about Mbappe in the leave. You've got um, yeah. Griezmann. Side, you've got yeah. Um, yeah, Griezmann, and they got talent everywhere. They really do. Um, I think they could be vulnerable at the back. I think England will look at that and think they might win the midfield battle. Um, I don't think. I mean, Varane, you've seen him for United. He, he, he kind of, yeah, he's, he's okay. But he's, he's any better than the Stones. They're probably a similar kind of player. Mm. So I think England will see that and think they got a chance. And you've always got Larice, who's a great goalkeeper, but he's always prone to throwing one in as well. So that'll be, that'll be, <laughs> it'll be, I think it'll be a really good game. I it'll, think it'll, really it'll good be game. a really good game. I think game. it's very hard to call. Yep. Yeah. Well, best of luck to England. Best of luck to France for the sake of being fair. Uh, Griezmann has three kids. They're all born on the same day. Can you not same day? Sorry, same date. I should say. So he doesn't have triplets. But really? <laughs> yeah, the same birthday, eighth of whatever it was. <laughs> Big day at the Griezmann household. Anyway, uh, a fascinating World Cup. Still plenty more to play out. Uh, thank you so much as always. There's still nine down, Pakistan. So they're digging their heels in. But uh, the runs have well and truly dried up. Uh, one more wicket, and I suspect Jimmy Anderson's going to pick it up as he tends to do. Thank you, mate. We'll speak soon. See you, mate. Bye now. There he is, Ian McCulloch, live from London. The UK reports. So, you know, ten people tend to get a bit crazy, don't they, during the World Cup cycle? We're going to win it. England are going to win it. It's going to be a fascinating matchup against France after they defeated Poland 3-0 and England defeated... Sorry, 3-1, I should say. And England defeated Senegal 3-0. Tomorrow morning, Japan, Croatia, 2 a.m., and Brazil, South Korea at 6 a.m. You hear all that action live right here on SEN. Yeah, just having a look at the World Cup draw. So Brazil are on the other side of the draw to England and France. So England will meet France, and then the winner of that will meet the winner of Netherlands and Argentina. That is a mouth-watering prospect. That'll be the semi-finals. Brazil play Korea. The winner of Brazil-Korea will play the winner of Japan-Croatia. The bottom part on the same side of the draw. Portugal play Switzerland. And they've got Morocco taking on Spain. The winner of those matches will meet each other in the quarterfinals. And then on it goes to the semis. 0457 736 736. That is the text line number. Now, something on the weekend uh, that needs to be celebrated. It doesn't have the prominence. doesn't take the back pages like the football. Soccer football, that is, and the cricket for that matter. But Brett Robinson. Brett Robinson. He made history. In Japan on Sunday, he what he did, Brett Robinson, was break the Australian marathon record that has been held by Robert De Costella since 1986. So Deke's had it for, what, 35 years and then some. Quite remarkable. He was competing in the Fukuoka International Marathon, finished the event in 2 hours, 7 minutes, 31 seconds. So he surpassed De Costella's old record of 2 hours, 7 minutes, 51 seconds. So he's knocked it off by 20 seconds. And Deke said he's at the Boston Marathon. So he's 31 years of age, Brett Robinson from Melbourne. He finished fourth out of 36 competitors with a time that was a PB by 2 minutes 21. So it's pretty impressive. He spoke to Athletics Australia after the result. Said it was a, quote, great feeling to finally break the record that he's been chasing a few times now. A few times now. So well done to Brett Robinson, who has claimed the Australian marathon record. He knocked off the previous record held by... Robert De Costello set nine, way back in 1986. He knocked that off by 20 seconds. They're still nine down, so they're just they're probing this England side for that final wicket. So Ben Stokes and Jack Leach in operation. He's wicketless at the moment. Jack Leach, none for 56. Pakistan still needs 75 more runs to win, but there's only one wicket, so it won't take long. They've got men around the bat. It is beating the outside edge regularly. 
Like I said, this pitch at Royal Pinty's come to life. It's been a very good test match. We weren't sure what sort of complexion it would take after the run fest of the first three or so days. But here we are. Speaking of cricket, SEN Cricket. And follow them on Twitter, at SEN underscore cricket, if you haven't already. And you get all the great videos of Colo and Jared and the rest in the in the com, books, com box and the team. We had Ian Bishop. has been a wonderful addition during the West Indies tour this summer. Barat Cinderace and Peter Lawler, the best in the business. But they tweeted something that piqued my interest. This is what they said. This is on the 3rd of December, a couple of days ago. They said, you can pick four of the following players to form your ultimate Australian modern bowling quartet. Who are you taking? This is who they nominated. Glenn McGrath, Shane Warne, Jason Gillespie, Brett Lee, Pat Cummins, Josh Hazelwood, Nathan Lyon, Mitchell Stark. They said, give us your quartet from the above. And a lot of people had a few different opinions. Was that dropped? Was it fourth slip? No, just short. Um, hello, my first thought. Who's, who's missing from that list? Ultimate modern bowling quartet, Australian modern bowling quartet. McGrath, Warren, Gillespie, Lee, Cummins, Hazelwood, Lyon, Stark. Who is missing from that list? Who's the obvious one? I'll give you a clue, Pat. He's a left-hander. Who do you reckon it is? New South Welshman? No. It's not Brett Lee. It's not Brett Lee. I mentioned Brett Lee. Oh. McGrath, Warren, Gillespie, Lee, Cummins, Hazelwood, Lyon, and Stark. Stuart Clark. No, left-hander. And he's not a New South Welshman, mate. I couldn't be clearer on <laughs> You got me. Queenslander went to WA. Another clue? That's probably people like screaming in their cars. First initials are MJ. Oh, my goodness. How do you not get this? Towed up England in the 2013 Ashes. Oh, Mitchell Johnson. Mitchell Johnson. Notable omission. The reason I say that is if you're asking me to form the ultimate Australian modern bowling quartet, I'll tell you who it is. McGrath, Cummins, Johnson, and Warren. That is your four. No further correspondence being entered into. That, that is it. Like, you can't argue that. McGrath, automatic. Cummins, automatic. Warren, obviously automatic. And then who's your th- third seamer? It's not Lee. Hazelwood's great, but you're not picking Hazelwood if you've got McGrath. You can't pick Lyon because you've got Warren. Stark, yeah, maybe. He's a left armour, he swings it. But he got Stark out of Mitchell Johnson, I don't. I love them both. One Mitchell for another. Lee doesn't get a look in. Gillespie, big admirer, love Dizzy. He can't possibly get a look in. So if you're picking the ultimate Australian modern bowling quartet, it would be McGrath for mine. McGrath, Cummins, Johnson and Warren. You give McGrath the new ball with Mitch, Cummins will be first change and then Warren. That is formidable. That is formidable because Mitchell Johnson, I mean, 300 test wickets. But that series against England 2013, then the ensuing series against South Africa was amongst the fiercest fast bowling I've seen in my lifetime. Frightening. And England were scared to play him. Basically ended Jonathan Trott's career and a host of careers. Graham Swan, I think, was another one that left that tour early. Nobody wanted to play him. So there you go. Can't believe they left Mitchell Johnson. Don't worry, let him know. I'll let him know. one 300 They're digging their heels in Pakistan. They seem six of 43 deliveries. So the wind's out of the game. They're not going to get the run, so they're just batting out for a draw. England need one wicket. One wicket to win. England, 
nine for 268. I'll try and figure out how much longer left in this test match. It's getting very, very interesting. Keep the text coming at 0457 736 736. couple of funny ones, but I can't read them on air because they're a little bit risque for want of a better term. 15 minutes, in fact. In fact, less than 15, 12 minutes to go. So we should have a result. Can England get the final wicket? Are we going to see a noble draw? And this is the thing about test match cricket. A draw. a draw is a result in itself. A draw is a result. So if you're Pakistan, you're thinking for a moment. So at the moment, I'm just having a look here. Keeper, four slips. You've got a man under the lid on the leg side. You see Ben Stokes marshalling his troops. Ali and Nassim, the two batters at the crease at the moment. Ollie Robinson's been wonderful. He changed the game two weeks and two overs, four for 50. Halfway through, his 22nd over. So they need one wicket to win. They look pretty stressed here, the Barmy Army. They won't have any fingernails by the end of this. And you've got a man at short cover and defended again to, I'm trying to think, so is that, it's Brooke. It's Harry Brooke, actually. He's there under the lead, Eric short leg. Got a short cover, four slips. I think a point in place as well. They got the new ball. So we're counting down, probably less, almost 10 minutes maybe to go. 10, 15 minutes remaining in this test match. What we might do, we'll take a break and see if we've got a result for you. Well, I took the break and I said we may have a result after the break. We're still waiting. Jack Leach is bowled to Nassim Shah. They've given it out LBW and it is out and England have won the test match. So straight away they reviewed it. I thought on first sight it may have just slid down leg. It's straightened just enough. Out. Congratulations, England. Review lost. All gone for 268. England win the test match by 74 runs and a good test match in the end. It was getting very dark. The new ball, and Jack Leach, in fact, was bowling the new ball. And I think Pakistan were thinking, well, how come the quicks were still allowed to operate? Wonderful game at Royal Pindi. The crowd there in great spirits. Abami Army in great spirits. And Ben Stokes is hugging his teammates. Four to Anderson, four to Robinson. In the end, Justin up. Smacked on the front pad. Nassim reviews out in the first wicket. And what a key wicket it was in the end. The winning wicket. Well done to Jack Leach. 0 4 5 7 736 736 is the text line number. Let's do this. Well, I guess this is a case where we'll have to agree to disagree. Uh, it's been a while since you've been on the night's programs. I welcome you back in, I guess, officially now for the first time tonight. Pat, good evening to you. Yeah, you caught me on the fly last break. Oh, uh, Mitchell Johnson. Yeah. Yeah, write that name 100 times on the whiteboard. I know, you know right? Man. It should say Mitchell Johnson brackets mustache. On the oh, the dirty mo, the hand. Yeah, 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 you reckon that was that Mitchell was with the mo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, it was like Samson's hair. That was the key to his strength. Do you think? Yeah, yep. Big, big fan of the Old Testament, Mitch. Maybe. Oh, I thought you were saying you're a big fan of all the fire and brimstone stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That that bit's all right. Not the not the other stuff. Oh, vengeful God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you don't like the loving God. Like the Leonard the Cohen. God. The Leonard Cohen God. Cohen. Leonard Cohen. I mean, people talk about him as a musical genius, and yeah, mate, it's not my cup of tea. Did he's he ever about... come on SEN in, when he was alive? Leonard Cohen. <laughs> when did he die, Leonard Cohen? 216. 216. Yeah. All right. I said, Leonard Cohen. <laughs> he wrote Hallelujah. He's only known for Hallelujah. Yeah. He'd just walk up to the microphone and grumble. Uh, and that was it. I said, I couldn't possibly sit through two hours of that. Nah. Not a hope in hell. No. Nah. He's nah. got some more upbeat ones. Anyway. You like Leonard Cohen? Yeah, I do. What yeah. about, uh, okay. Are you like a Tom Waits fan? You like that kind of stuff? He's got that really gruff kind of unusual tone. Ah, uh, I go in and out of Tom Waits. Mm. Can't do it. You can't do it all day, every day. But you put a Tom Waits album on, it's a good time. It's a good time. Tom Waits album. It's a time, I guess. 
find way to pass 50. The 80 stuff's actually not as good. He did a, um album with, uh, what's his name, the Rolling Stones guitarist? Keith Richards. Keith Richards. I was about to say Keith Moon. Okay. No, not Keith Moon. He was the drummer. <laughs> yeah. So, jo- okay. So, Tom Waits. Tom not Waits. to be confused with John Waits. We had that one hit one from the 80s, Missing You. Oh, yeah. Missing You at all. 1984. Great tune. I reckon there's about like 10 songs like that where I just say, I don't know, it's like Asia or something. Asia? Yeah. Asia or Foreigner. Oh, the band. Like every t- yeah, every time a song okay. like that comes on, I just yeah, it's probably now, Asia. Foreigner weren't one hit wonders, though. They were very prolific. Foreigner had a lot of songs. Uh, well, according to me, they do. I give them half the songs on yes. FM radio. Yeah. Is that yeah. Foreigner? Yeah. I, you know, years I used to host a, a music trivia night. And the default answer for someone didn't know was always REO Speedwagon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to keep on REO Speedwagon. Well, it's not it's everything a... is REO Speedwagon. Yeah. Yes. It's REO, not Rio, by the way. What are we agreeing on or disagreeing on tonight, potentially? Go. Well, I have I had written down that I thought that when this declaration happened, mm. so. I thought but, it was a very generous declaration. I thought, so as well. I thought it was one of the bravest declarations I've, I've seen. I thought. It's good for test cricket. Yeah, and um, so they gave him three. It was still three runs and over. Mm. So that was very doable, and both teams had gotten around about 600 in the first first things. I thought that was one of the most daring sporting, declarations. Sporting declaration. I don't know one of the most sporting, but it was pretty sporting. Look, you know what? Every result was in play on day five. England knew if they bowled well, they could win, and they did in that final session. They had to get what? They get five wickets, so five down at T, I think. Yeah, they were five. A five Pakistan down at T. Five yeah. for f- 200 and yeah. 259. That fifth just before lunch, uh, that was the killer, I think. Yeah, and on. So four down, who knows, but well done to England. On Google, they have the match probability. Yeah. And so when we came on air, it was England were the least likely to win, draw most likely, and then Pakistan were on about 33%. And watch that go down. Yeah. Okay. So, yes, I agree. It was a, a good declaration by Ben Stokes. They played some good cricket, England. Do you think, I think, that this might be like a bit of a harbinger of how test cricket can go? Because England went at both innings at above a run of ball. Other than... It's not, look, it, it depends. Some pitches you can do this, it's not always sustainable. Yeah. Right, and this is, this is the thing. You can look great on a flat deck, but the minute the ball starts to seam around, bounce, spin, whatever, Yeah. right, do you have the necessary uh, weapons in your game to adjust on the fly, yeah. can he defend to drag a test match out to five days to potentially yeah. set his team up or to save a test match yeah. on a tough pitch? Because this test was still, I mean, there was a draw up right up until the last session was on the cards and a Pakistan win until the second last session. So for England to be scoring runs so freely, I haven't seen a test so close. It was madness. It was madness. I couldn't believe that the rate. They were going at 7-8 and over in that opening day. Yeah. On the other side of the coin, I think when the draw for the Australian summer came out, people were sort of saying this a bit more tongue-in-cheek, but you can't start with a Perth test. Uh, traditionally, Brisbane's always been the first yeah. test of the summer. And, and um, Would I be correct in that it was the Indian touring, the Indian tour of 2018 that changed that? It, look, was is it, that the it, first one without Brisbane first up? Well, see, Brisbane, the thing about it is they threatened to take the first test away from Brisbane, right, unless they upgraded the Gabba. Yeah. Right? And it said, look, get more crowds in and upgrade, otherwise you don't necessarily get the first test of the summer. Um, 
you know, they wanted to share around. Perth hasn't had a test for a couple of years. I understand that, uh, but they didn't show up. You know, gold coin donation, they could barely get 5,000 people on the yeah. last day with a result imminent. Yeah. It's a problem. I really think that what was so bad for rugby is that you don't know how to watch it. It's like one week rugby it's or cricket? on rugby is that it's like New South Wales are on at two o'clock in the morning one week and then the next week it's Wallabies at two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon or whatever. So it's like if the end of November there's cricket on at 10 o'clock in the morning at Brisbane to start it off with, like we all remember that. And then we sort of coming out of COVID, I guess we didn't really think about the Brisbane test not being first up. And I've only just now been like, oh, personal, that's kind of weird. Anyway. Prefer to, to wind into it. So England won by 74 runs. Yes, I agree. It was a good declaration. Hit me. I think that I, I used to think this sort of more uh, anecdotally. I think the Socceroos are like our national, like the, the, the national side that most people can sort of get behind. Yes, of course. Agree. Yeah. 100% yeah, agree. Yeah. And it's think about it because, and I'll tell you why, because Australians almost identify themselves through a sporting prism, right? Every Olympic Games... And you know, they don't necessarily win gold medal tally per capita, but they're up there. And they pride themselves in a nation that punches above their weight. So in a game where they're not traditionally the best, in Australia, the best rugby league team, obviously got Aussie rules and, and cricket and the like. So when you get a sport like soccer, football, if they can make any kind of waves in the world stage, then it makes the country stand up and take notice because it tickles them pink. It makes them feel good about themselves. Yeah. That's what it does. And it is a genuine war game where everybody participates. Yeah. Right. Biggest global event, biggest global sporting event there is. So that's why it rallies a nation like no other sport in this country. Yeah. I got to mention just before I top out that I was at Darling Harbour. Yes. I chose the brave way of staying up, not getting up. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No. Yeah, it's good. You're brave. You are brave. It Hang was... on, for at 6 a.m., so you went through the night. Wednesday night, yeah. You're right. Yeah. I can't do that anymore. Yeah. I loved it. I thought it was one of the most... I was down at Darling Harbour in, in here in Sydney. Yeah. I thought it was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Yeah. I thought it was... I would have guessed 20 on the at the time. And then I thought maybe it might have been a bit less. But, you know, they're saying it was... Oh, I'm about to say more. you want to inflate the numbers. So no, in I years thought, to come, you tell the story. There are 400,000 people there. It was... They had like three or four different TV setups. And like every one of them was... As full as you could, as as you could get, it was, it was amazing. It was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Yes, it's like Jimmy Barnes who jokes about it. the amount of cold chisel fans. Go, oh, mate, I loved your gig at the Star Hotel. We never played a gig there. We did a song called the Star Hotel. We never actually played a gig there. Yeah. I swear the amount of people over the years. Oh, mate, you know, that was the best gig ever. With a hundred thousand people saw cold chisel at the Star Hill at the Star Hotel. Yeah, never happened. They never played a gig there. Yeah, well, yeah. I wouldn't be caught dead admitting to being in a cold chisel gig. Why? Not for me. All right, have, have you heard he, he's, he tells a story that he gave Robert Plant advice on writing Led Zeppelin songs? Did he? Yeah. You know, Van Halen sounded him out, the lead singer, once upon a time. Says who? No, it's a true story. Okay. Yeah, 100%. Straight from Barnsley's mouth. <laughs> what, he's saying he's lying? That is 100% true. Anyway, we're going off track. That's a story for another day. Uh, are we done? Yes, done. All for me. Thank you, mate. Well done to England. Won the first test against Pakistan Royal Pindi by 74 runs. Thank you, Bondi Jack, for your correspondence. Uh, the Sports Central Weekend Podcast. I don't know why you can't find it. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll dig around. Uh, Mark has been producing it the last couple of weeks. I'm sure it should be put up there if it's not. 
I'm asked to, have to ask why not. Moses hoax a million plus won't win you anything. Could be right. Not worth half of what it'll get. Uh, Cop 900 from Paraglory Boy. It's way over. <laughs> I think you got to invest in Dylan now, don't you? Not worth 600 at the Chooks. 19-year-old Sammy is much better player. Uh, if I'm putting all my eggs in one basket, if I've got to go Sam Walker or Mitch Moses, I'm choosing Sam Walker right now. Adelaide 500 organisers, I can't speak to that. I've confirmed Robbie Williams will headline the supercar season finale in 2023. Really? I saw him at the AFL Grand Final. People waxing lyric about Robbie Williams. He is the most overrated artist in history, Robbie Williams. And I'll die in that hill. Four-day attendance, 250,000 people, they reckon they'll get it, the Adelaide 500. It's a horrible, horrible voice. Horrible voice. Uh, just to tidy up things in this test match, uh, thrilling test match, well done to England, defeat of Pakistan by 74 runs. Incredible test match it was. It all came down to Stokes' attacking declaration. It was on the fourth evening. So they just sort of dangle the carrot in front. It's the highest scoring test ever to produce a result the only game to do so featuring two 550-plus first innings totals. And a lot of the English players were sick, if you recall, coming into this too. So the most runs in a test match, South Africa v. England, Durban, 1939, 1,981. West Indies v. England, Kingston, Jamaica, 1930, 1,815. This sits third on the list. A total of 1,768 runs produced this test match at Pindy. First test of the series, but as I said, the highest number of runs in a test match to get a result. So well done to England and then Australia, West Indies, 69, Adelaide, and then before that, Australia, England, Adelaide, 1921. So long, long time ago. Thank you to our guests on the program tonight, Lachlan McCurdy from Code Sports in the first hour, Ian McCulloch with the UK Report. They're pretty excited over in England. Can they defeat arch enemies France in the quarterfinals and make a surge to the final and maybe win their first World Cup since 1966. And thank you to Pat on the buttons as well. I'm Jules. Great to be back on the tools again on nights. You'll be listening to High Ground after the break. Paul Sebastiani to take you through the next few hours. Don't forget to tune into our World Cup coverage. Two o'clock, Japan, Croatia, and then Brazil and South Korea at six o'clock. Catch you next time. Bye-bye.